Welcome to Dinger Derby, the only podcast completely devoted to Texas Tech baseball. Join your host, Keith Patrick, every week for team news, guests, ranking updates, and game reports from opening weekend all the way through Omaha. We'll be hitting taters with the Red Raiders all season long. This is Dinger Derby. Welcome into the Dinger Derby podcast, the only podcast devoted 100% to Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. I'm your host, Keith Patrick, and I just want to start the episode by saying thank you. Thank you for continuing to support Dinger Derby. Thank you for listening. Have had an absolute banner month at Dinger Derby. Released an episode, that fall report with Mike Gustafson and George Watson, and y'all have blown my mind. I have seen more downloads on that episode than any before in the history of Dinger Derby, including the ones at the College World Series, and they're still continuing to rise. So thank you so much for listening. Please get out there, like, subscribe, find us on Twitter at Dinger underscore Derby. You can email me anytime with a question or DM me. Email me at Dinger underscore Derby at Outlook.com. Just really, really appreciate everything you've done. And you can find me personally on Twitter at Keith B. Patrick as well. So got an episode here for you where I sat down and talked with Kendall Rogers from D1Baseball.com. If you're not familiar, D1 Baseball is... In my opinion, the best outlet in college baseball for national baseball news. They do conference coverage and individual team coverage, but they're looking at the entire sport. Kendall and I have gotten crossways before. We did last year uh, over the third paid assistant. But what it really comes down to is these guys, Kendall and his co-managing editor, Aaron Fitt, they just really do a great job getting out there, covering college baseball and doing what they can to continue to advance this sport. It's on the rise. It's growing. There's going to be more and more opportunity for you to find good coverage. And and they have been there from the beginning and they do a really great job. So I encourage you to check out d1baseball.com. If you haven't subscribed there, I would consider it. They do a really, really great job. And I enjoy their content, I enjoy their takes, and they're really plugged into the sport and have a lot of great insight. They also have a podcast. You won't get a ton of Texas Tech information, although they do talk about the Red Raiders as they come along, but they try to spread the love and talk about you know their rankings as a whole. Uh, but I enjoy what they do. They have a podcast that will begin coming out later in the spring. In addition to their weekly podcast, they have what they call a nerd cast, and they look ahead and start projecting regional hosts and who will be in and out of the field and things of that nature. So they do a great job and it's a lot of fun. Just want to give them a plug because the rest of this episode will be my conversation with Kendall Rogers. Well, I started off by saying thank you, but I wanted to conclude the opening of the podcast with an apology. I'm usually a stickler for sound and I want to bring you the best audio quality that I can in my limited podcasting abilities, but I had some technical difficulties in my interview with Kindle. I've done my dead level best to clean things up for you and to try to bring you the best product I can. But I do want to apologize. It's not exactly to my level of expectation. I will do better in the future. And I do apologize if it is a little bit frustrating at times to keep up with. I also had a little bit of a difficulty at the beginning of the podcast. It cut off just the beginning of an answer, but not too much. I really just asked Kendall about that third paid assistant vote and now the new things that we're seeing coming in the greater landscape of college baseball. And it'll kind of jump in in the middle of a thought, but you really didn't miss much from the beginning of the answer. And I do apologize for the technical difficulty. So once again, an interview with Kendall Rogers, co-managing editor of D1Baseball.com. Thanks so much for listening to Dinger Derby. I'll talk to you after the interview. But it's making more money for the conferences, making more money for the NCAA, the, you know, the college series. Still, outside of the NCAA basketball tournament, is the most revenue-making sport. That does not include football because, of course, football is controlled by the bowl, uh, the playoff system. So, you know, the fact that you have those two things happening, you have all those facilities, arms races, the coaches' salaries are going, the head coaches' salaries are going up. You know, it's disappointing that the third assistant wasn't passed. But at the end of the day, we can sit here all day and, and rehash who voted against it, who voted for it, blah blah. You know, those guys are terrible. These guys are great. But at the end of the day, it boils down to the, the message on the third assistant, which is very jumbled. The biggest pitch coming from. Uh, the American Baseball Coach Association and some others out there was, you know, coach-to-player ratio, coach-to-player ratio. Well, the problem running to with this legislation uh, is it didn't solve that issue. So, though I, I was 100% for it, like, I, I get why some ADs are taking 
step back and go, wait a second. Like, we're not increasing our ratios here. So I'm essentially just adding a salary onto my book with no essential gain to the student athlete. And so I, I get that. Uh, I guess my, my thing is I was, my, my main reason for being for it is it's, it's going to help keep good coaches in college baseball as we've seen the last few weeks. Uh, a lot of people probably haven't been able to keep up with it, but more and more, uh, assistant coaches, specifically offensive guys, uh, are going to the professional ranks. And not only are they going to the professional ranks, some of these guys are taking lower level minor league jobs, uh, because, you know, either the salary isn't great where they are or they were a volunteer somewhere and they simply just can't afford to stay in college baseball. So uh, moving forward, I would like to see us be able to keep these coaches in. And I think when we come back to this legislation in a couple of years, I think with the, a- the SEC and what they need to do, they need to get with the Big 12 and they need to get with these other conferences as well. What we need to do is not only do we need to add an assistant coach, we need to keep the volunteer position and essentially just add another coach because then your argument has a lot of merit because you're saying, hey, we're improving our, our coach-to-player ratio, and that's a fact where, you know, in this argument, it wasn't a fact. But uh, that that's kind of led the way. You know, the scholarship thing, uh, you know, it's one of those deals that it's going to take a while. Uh, it, it, well, it could take a while, but, you know, John Cohen at Mississippi State came to me a while back. I would say in the middle of the summer. He said, hey, you know what? Like, we're, get, we're getting all, all into this, you know, third assistant debate. We're having all this, these heated debates about this, but you know, how about the, the senior student athlete in college baseball? It's like, it's such a unique position to where, you know, in, in baseball, you know, you're leaving after your junior year, you have an option to, you know, head to the, head to, you know, the, the, the pro ranks out of high school, you know, coaches in college baseball. Tim Tadlock doesn't find out until mid-July, uh, who's, who he potentially has on campus in the fall. So, hey, we're in a unique situation. So how about we make it to where, you know, seniors have come back for their senior year, are on a full ride because in places like Texas Tech, yeah, you're going to have a few of those guys. Sure, but it, I mean it's not really a plenty. You know, there's not a lot of them. Sure, and and they're they're contributors. I mean, Cameron Warren was a senior Absolutely. for Texas Tech last year. John McMillan and Brian Klein, both seniors this year. Yeah, exactly. So what you're essentially doing is you're saying, hey, tell you what, you know, if you don't get the money you think you deserve, like there's probably a McMillan or a guy like that, um, come back to college. And guess what? We want you to finish your degree at Texas Tech University. And oh, by the way, uh, we'll pay all of your school your, your, your final year. So, uh, you know, obviously there's some question marks. Some people go, well, what, what about if a guy signs and comes back to finish his degree? You would not be covered in that. But essentially it's just called a senior relief uh, scholarship, where if you come back for a senior year, um, you know, you get everything paid for. So, you know, the biggest roadblock I guess you kind of run into and, I, and, and it sounds like, speaking of, you know, we talked about the Big 12, and obviously the Big 12 one of those leagues voted against the third assistant. So I'm hearing there's actually a lot of positive uh, input from the ADs on this uh, potential legislation from the Big 12. So that's been a big key on this thing is getting some of these bigger school athletic directors on board. But, you know, at the end of the day, it, it all depends on how it gets voted. And what I mean by that, not to have a long-winded answer here, is, you know, the third assistant legislation was voted on, basically, the Power Five voted for it, uh, it was going to pass. Well, scholarship legislation typically is every conference has one vote. So, mm-hmm. let's say the mid-major, or the, the mid-major to the low-majors, which, by the way, will have more seniors, uh, they would probably just derail this legislation altogether. However, what Cohen and what some others want to propose this legislation as is student welfare legislation, which is not considered scholarship legislation. They're saying baseball is unique uh, because of our draft system and therefore it's student welfare. And so if mm. it goes up with that as one of those kind of legislative items, then it would pass because I do believe the Power Five schools would vote for it. Because at the end of the day, whether it's Kirby Hocutt or Joseph Figueroa or, you know, Ward Mean, a lot of the Big Ten, you know, and Gene Smith, is they want things to benefit the student athlete. And this benefits the student athlete. Uh, and better college baseball is you kill two birds in one thing. And let's bring folks up to speed. And I do appreciate the long answer because obviously there was a lot of emotion around, <laughs> right. around the third paid assistant yeah. before. And I like hearing, hearing your thoughts and, and seeing, okay, so you're seeing brain drain kind of pulling out of college baseball because these volunteers can't afford to stay and there's not enough positions. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and now, you know, things a little different as well to catch folks up. Kirby Hocutt is now on that committee as a big 12 athletic director. And on top of that, also to remind folks listening about scholarships, 11.7 scholarships 
for an entire 35-man roster baseball team. And there gets to be some particulars in there. Like every player on scholarship has to have at least a 25%. And you could probably explain that a little bit more precisely than I can. Yeah, I mean, everybody has to be at 25%. And, you know, and I actually was talking to Chris O'Connor and texting me about this. And one of the big things we would like to do uh, is get rid of a 25% minimum because, therefore, uh, you can kind of spread those dollars to more guys. So, uh, yeah, 25% minimum. It used to be where you could just, you know, you could give a guy 5%, but if he would take 5%, to get a Texas Tech. And so, sure. uh, I, I kind of wish we'd go back to those days. You could stretch your dollars out more during a situation to where, hey, you know, if you have a Lubbock kid who, you know, his parents live there in Lubbock, hey, you may not need to be on a 25% scholarship, you know? So, uh, if a kid is willing to go to Texas Tech or willing to go to UT or AM or wherever for 5%, why shouldn't he be able to? So, you know, that that's something we can probably look at from a scholarship standpoint. But uh at any rate it, it it's a it is a very robust debate. It's not gonna die down anytime soon. I think what you'll see uh if you start to get more clarity on the on the lightness and things like that, uh you'll start to see the, the scholarship thing come back into motion. Because I do think that uh eighties and, and conferences are very real, reluctant to spend a bunch of money on scholarship because it's it, you know, it's not gonna be ultra expensive. Right. Uh, but it's not going to be cheap for Texas Tech, but it could be ultra expensive for, let's say, the Sam Houston State of the world who might have seven seniors every year. So <laughs> right. uh, I don't think we're going to get a lot of, yeah, I don't think we're going to get much serious discussion in terms of the D1 Council and things like that until uh, we get clarity in this lightness, which, by the way, it sounds like here in the next few months we might actually finally get some clarity on it. That's really interesting, and I bring up the scholarship numbers because, I mean, if you have a senior that doesn't get drafted higher, doesn't get drafted at all, they come back and they're able to get on a full ride in this student relief, that's probably the first time they've ever had more than, you know, books and fees and, and like you said, a yeah. small percentage, 25%. It's very rare for a college baseball player to be on a full ride, you know, out of the out of the 11.7 for a team. No, it really is. Like, uh, I've known some instances of some guys, whether it's Texas Tech or Texas or A&M or TCU where they've been on, you know, 90%. But I honestly don't think I've heard of a guy being on 100%. I'm sure it's happened, but I just just haven't heard about it. Right. So uh, it's, it's a very unique situation, uh, baseball in general. And I hope when we get to the point of uh, proposing all this, uh, I hope administrators realize it because it's totally different uh, than any other sport besides maybe hockey. Hockey's very, very similar uh, in the way the draft and whatnot sets up. Well, and I think a lot of folks – immediately compared to softball and you look at softball and it's a very different setup. I mean, of course the draft isn't as consideration. And then on top of that, you're seeing a smaller team and the ratios are completely different. Uh, and it begs the question of how can you find some equity from the guy's side, you know, to get them some opportunities too. Yeah. It's just, it's really interesting. You know, when it, you know, going back to the third assistant deal, you know, one of the things that people brought up a lot is that, Hey, you know, why, why in the world do we pick softball as like a sport to pair with? You know, why not soccer or why not women's track and field? Apparently, women's track and field has a huge disparity in terms of coaches to player ratio. So, you know, it's going to be really, really interesting to see, you know, A, what, what college baseball learns from this. You know, there's still people out there who are all puffing and puffing about it. And it's kind of, you know, I'm kind of at a point now where it's like, hey, we can either, as a sport, find out what went wrong, what can be better with the legislation, move forward uh, and get this thing passed in a couple of years, or we can just sit around and bitch and moan about right. it, which doesn't accomplish anything at this point. Well, and that's what, exactly right. That's when you get you get through the emotion. Obviously, there was a, a failed vote and lots of different opinions and kind of, a, as you said, like an unclarity of message. You're not really exactly sure. Some of it was kind of talking yeah. points and people talking through their hat a little bit maybe, and, and you get down to what's what's the real issue and where can we find the common ground to make it good for a wide variety of schools, good for kids, good for coaches, and, and look for opportunities that will, as you say then, push the sport forward because it's ready. Yeah, exactly. And so at the end of the day, uh, they just didn't convince enough people that it was worth doing. And, and you know, I want to reiterate because a lot of people think you know, these people that voted against it, they don't care about baseball. I mean, come on now. You know, Texas obviously cares about baseball. Texas Tech clearly cares about baseball. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's definitely not a thing about not caring about baseball. It's just, uh, you know, people didn't see eye to eye, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens uh, you know, moving uh, moving ahead. I do think the discussion on those items will probably 
start to heat up a little bit more as we get into probably late spring and going into summer. Awesome. Well, and speaking of, of moving college baseball forward, a couple of big changes happening around the College World Series, speaking of late spring, early summer. So last year, a Major League Baseball game played on Thursday at TD Ameritrade before the College World Series kicks off on Friday evening. And then now we see the draft coming to Omaha. So give us your thoughts on that and you know what these things mean. Is We've never really seen Major League Baseball and college baseball play very well together. And now all of a sudden, they've gotten really connected. No, it's great. I think uh, you know when you look at the, the you know the draft moving to Omaha and the time the timing of it's the biggest thing. You know, uh, it, it's been such a hot topic in college baseball. I still remember watching his money going. I think it was Miami versus A and M in the regional final two years ago. Somebody showed his money going doll their phone on the on deck circle at the eighth inning of the cha- regional championship game to show him where he got drafted. You know, you saw the Dandy, the status one of those Dandy uh, Swanson from that. You know, Vanderbilt, if you remember, in that Super Eagle with Illinois, mm-hmm. he goes number one overall, and the guy celebrating, literally dogpiling, and the ESPN pulls him out of the scrum, which they're just doing their job, and they pull him out of the scrum and tell him he's been the number one pick in the, in the draft. And, like, I just, you know, from that point on, man, I, I got pretty staunch about it. Like, hey, man, like, you're taking away a huge moment of this kid's life just because it, it fits better for your schedule. So to see him all be... Uh, move this back, you know, to the week before Omaha. I think it's perfect. You know, 90, 95% of the players are done with, uh, that are going to get drafted. Uh, and the guys who, by the way, aren't done with, they're going to be in Omaha already. Right. They can go to the draft and actually walk across the aisle and, you know, where, you know, the Texas Tech, uh, draftee with the Rangers, you go across the stage and put on a Rangers cap. So you're lucky enough to be drafted in the first day. So, uh, I think it's a great move. Um, I think you saw Rod Manfred, uh, be very, clear, concise uh, with what he would like to see between Major League Baseball and College Baseball last year with the you know the game going to Omaha. And I think now with the, going in, uh, the draft in Omaha, I think it's going to be there for a long time. Um, I think Omaha will support it. They support everything, whether it's the swimming trials, the College of Series. They're putting this the, the first, first time of the draft in a venue, I think, that holds two or 3,000 people. And I bet you they packed that there. So I think it's an Omaha for the foreseeable future, and I also think the timing will probably stay where it is as well. So it's a, it's a win-win for everybody. There, there are even some college coaches now who are still, and it's in the minority, they still think that, oh, well, we need to move it you know, after Omaha. I, I am perfectly fine with where it is now because I, I do understand uh, the major league teams do have to fill their lower-level rosters uh, going into July. And let's face it, I mean, if you have 95% of the players that are going to be drafted, Done with, like, there's no reason to wait for that, you know, that five or six percent that are going to be Omaha, anyways. Right. I was wondering what you thought about the timing as far as the week before versus after. And you're right, it was always awkward. I mean, kind of that, ha ha, if I'm watching it on TV, but that was terrible if you're in the middle of it or in the dugout or the kid dealing with it. But, you know, I was wondering, I was, I was wondering what you thought as far as the week before, because then you do have a lot of players and they're probably high draft picks that are in Omaha that are then, Either is it off their plate and now they can focus, or baseball is a little different than football. They're not going to be sitting out to avoid injury, you know, from their bowl game kind of deal. But I was curious for your thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, I think the timing is just great for a player. I mean, now, you know, you're not going into a potential Super Regional weekend worried about where you might get drafted on Monday. Uh, and by the way, you won't be playing a game while the draft's going on. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And, uh, to be selfish here, it is much better for, from a coverage standpoint, whether it's you covering Texas Tech draftees or me covering draftees on the national stage. Uh, you know, I, like I hate sitting there on a Monday trying to watch North Carolina and Stetson or whoever. And oh, by the way, the first time the draft's going on during that game. So, right. you know, I, I think it's a great move for everybody. And, and hopefully, you know, we, we talked about scholarships earlier. You know, there, there's been discussions behind the scenes and it certainly has not been. Uh, anything formal or in depth, but there have been discussions behind the scenes of maybe Sunday MLB helping subsidize some college scholarships. So, you know, I, I like this budding relationship and I hope it continues to, to build. And I also hope some of these things that have happened in Major League Baseball over the last couple of months, you know, don't uh, take up so much of their time that they end up getting put on the back burner for the next couple of years. Uh, but we'll see what happens with that. Right. Absolutely. Well, I mentioned earlier we had the first pitch luncheon today, and, and Coach Tadlock was there, as as well as uh, Emily Jones brought Jose Trevino, who they did field a couple questions about what's going on in Major League Baseball and kind of overstepping the intent of the unspoken rules of the game and just taking things too far. But um, 
one lighter side of that, Trevino, he played for Oral Roberts and remembered coming to play at Lubbock in, in 2014, and I know you're familiar with these guys. That's why I bring it up. He told a story about going 0 for 14 that weekend, and uh, at some point somebody stood up from the heckler section and yelled that he was Trevino on the weekend, and he thought it was pretty good, and then he went up and struck out, and he looked down and, and looked at Chris Need and remembered that it was him. And so uh, that was that was a good time at the lunch as they tried to figure out who it was, and he had he had a fun story for even way back in '14 coming out here and and uh, facing off with not just the the team but with the crowd. No, that's awesome, and that's one of the, the great things about college baseball. And by the way, and another Texas Tech related item, I did see the other day in an athletic article where somebody uh, discussed Patrick Mahomes as the wiffle ball legend of West Texas. I kind of always thought that was Chris Need or Mike Gus. <laughs> uh, if Gus told you any stories about him playing baseball, he would agree with being the wiffle ball champion, I mean, I think. I saw him play wiffle ball. He was good, and, and I've heard some legendary stories. <laughs> I, uh, I was a little turned off in the fact that they called Patrick Mahomes the West Texas wiffle ball legend. Patrick Mahomes has a – he still walks out of Lubbock with an infinity ERA from his one outing. Um, so yeah, that's that's a lot. That's a that's a heavy heavy crown to wear. Yeah, you know, it'd have been awesome. Of course, he was a great football player, obviously at Texas Tech. But uh, it'd have been pretty neat to see what he could have done on the diamond, especially considering the success uh, the Red Raiders were having in baseball when he was there. Yeah, it would have been a lot of fun, and it was funny to read. There was an athletic article about it last year that I think I reshared when you know when he was everything was going on a couple weeks ago, and it was interesting to read it and hear those guys talk about. It. They're like they were cheering their heads off for this guy, and they're like, "Who is this dude?" And back then it was, "Hey, he's the quarterback guy," you know. And then they're giving him a standing ovation when he gets pulled after three batters. That's awesome. That's terrific. It was good times. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I wish that that could have – you could have seen the true two-sport, you know, last, but it, it may be gone for good, especially in college. So um, let's jump yeah. in real quick. You guys had your Big 12 preview come out. I know that you're probably, you know, neck deep in doing conference previews all the way across the board. But <laughs> uh, as we walked into lunch today, also the Big 12 preseason awards came out, and Texas Tech had six selected in that group and uh, Dylan Noisy one of the three unanimous from the list uh, so preseason selections but none of the big four as far as freshman of the year newcomer pitcher those things none of those coming out to Texas Tech players and kind of my first question for you Kendall just conference wide do you think the star power in the Big 12 conference is a little bit lower this year you don't have the Josh Youngs and Wenzels and some of the others uh, as far as draft prospects, is that going to pull the league down, or are you just going to be looking to new guys that will step into those roles? Yeah, you know what? I, I think the, the star power is slightly down, but that, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a bad year for the league. I mean, listen, I mean, you look at uh, the player of the year, Nick Lofton at Baylor. I mean, he's an electric player. I love that guy. Cade Cavalli, uh, you know, still a little bit raw, but I mean, I saw him last year at uh, Rice, and he, I mean, he was 92, 96 in his fastball with a hammer curve. And so, Obviously, all the tools are there, and of course, Bryce Osmond. Uh, they, they end up pretty much emulating the same awards that we had, so uh, I'm just going down our awards, too. But, you know, sure. Bryce Osmond, Oklahoma State, is a guy that's expected to, you know, potentially be a number one guy at Oklahoma State for the years over. So, you know, those three guys are pretty talented, and I think when you look at the overall talent in the league, especially that 2020 draft class, and you look at the top, you know, with, with Tyson Seymour, Kansas State, the right handed pitcher, being a guy who is a definite breakout prospect, he has a big time on and really showed out the Cape Cod League, uh, you know, last summer. And, you know, we talked about Cavalli at Oklahoma, you know, Zach Matthews and Levi Prater, both guys to keep an eye on too. I was talking to somebody inside the AU program the other day, uh, who said Matthews, uh, was 88, 95, 97, uh, with his fastball during the scrimmage the other day, and his slider was 89. So like, hey, that, that'll play. And so, uh, Oklahoma has some pretty good arms. You get down to, you know, Texas uh, with Bryce Elder and you get down to Texas Tech with the, the kind of the quartet there in our rankings with Bryce Bonnet, John McMillan, Dylan Noisy, you know, and Clayton Beater. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of depth at Texas Tech. And so, again, I, I think the overall talent is a little bit down, but 
Uh, yeah, I'm not even sure people will notice it this year. Yeah, I actually was fortunate enough to be in line at lunch today with with J. Bob Thomas and talking about that that reload mentality and and for them it's really a goal. Yeah. I mean, and, and why wouldn't it be? You know, you're just constantly looking for those guys and then backups to them in recruiting that will get you to a point where you're not seeing big dips and you're not having to completely retrain teams. And uh, I think that it, it's mm-hmm. ongoing. You may not know as many of the names this year. And when I tweeted out asking for questions, one of those coming in was you know pitching staff wise what does tech look like are you stronger in the rotation are you stronger in the pin I mean what are you seeing so far from that from that staff as you've talked and seen uh, you know fall reports and things of that nature yeah I mean I think the pitching staff is in great shape I mean I think when you look at you know Micah Dallas I love his demeanor he's just a guy that's gonna I'm not telling you anything you don't know but he's a guy that's gonna throw right at you um, he's hard nosed. He's a perfect Friday guy. I, I love the way he ended last year. Uh, you look at John McMillan and Bryce Brown, and obviously both those guys, get, you know, both power arms who at times can be a little raw. But I like McMillan coming back. Uh, you know, probably comes back a little bit of chip on his shoulder. I think he's having a big year. Uh, and then Bryce Bonin, you know, I feel like we've been talking to him for a couple of years from here when he started at, uh, you know, Arkansas. You know, up to 97, it sounds like his secondary stuff's gotten better. His command has gotten gotten better so the rotation uh is in good shape and, and boy I, I love the bullpen i think the biggest differentiator with some teams that compete for the national championship are the, the depth of the bullpens you know how you know the, the teams that don't win a national championship or don't compete for it uh, you, you know there's a, there's a chink in the armor somewhere and a lot a lot of times it's the bullpen depth when you look at texas tech you know mason montgomery's a, a guy with so much upside you know clayton beater Healthy and ready to roll, you know, he's up to 96, 97 in the fall. He's going to have a big year. You know, Kurt Wilson. And then, then, then you just kind of get into all sorts of names people don't know yet. Uh, some of these young guys, you know, Austin Becker, the Vandy transfer. You mm-hmm. know, I saw him uh, when he was at Vandy in a short stint. And, you know, he was 92, 95 with pretty good stuff. You got Brandon Hendricks, Jacob Rostowski uh, is a guy that I'm really excited to see. You know, Tim Tadlock was telling me in the fall, you know, he, he was up to 92, 95. From the left side, and we're touching 97 to 98s at some point in the fall. So, you know, though he's a little raw, boy, I mean, le- lefty up to 98 on a good day, that, that is a heck of a weapon to have. And of course, uh, Andrew Devine, another newcomer, a freshman right hander, the Red Raiders like a lot too. Again, another power arm, 93, 95 with his fastball. So, uh, though I do like the rotation line, I, I love that the mix. Uh, in the depth of this bullpen. Texas Tech is going to be one of the teams that even if Micah Dallas can only go three or four innings because he struggles, uh, they're going to be able to throw out an arm that, uh, you know, two or three deep in that game that is just as talented as Micah Dallas. And that's such a luxury to have. Yeah, absolutely. And they've obviously set the schedule as well, Kendall, to get ready for that early in the season. You have multiple yep. five-game weeks as you go along, and they're definitely going to work out who those guys are uh, as as they roll through. And uh, Gus and I have talked about that extensively. I mean, I would say that opening weekend that you're most likely going to see the names you mentioned there, Dallas, McMillan, Bonin, and then you're going to work in like a Becker or someone else and see yep. where they stand. So. When you look at up and down the conference, and you know, I would say that Oklahoma State probably still a team that's going to bring some good stuff to the table, and you guys have them pick second in your preview, but then Oklahoma third, and so that would be a bump up for Oklahoma. Are you looking at a step up there for the Sooners? Uh, and you know, Texas and TCU, kind of what are you seeing out of them? Obviously, two elite programs that have been down a little bit the last couple seasons. Yeah, you know, Oklahoma, I just really like what it has in the mound. I think when you look at, you know, Chase Cavalli, Levi Prater, uh, you look at the bullpen, you know, like we just talked about Texas Tech, and you look at Oklahoma's bullpen with, you know, Jason Repcorn, Wyatt Olds, Ben Abram, uh, Jared Goodman. These are all guys that have gotten good experience in the past, and, uh, you know, they're going to have a good rotation, a, a deep uh, bullpen. The difference between those guys and, let's say, Tech, is just the quality of offense. I think when you look at Oklahoma, uh, they've got a lot of guys that need to step up, whether it's Brady Lindsay behind the plate, uh, Tanner Treadaway in the outfield, the athletic guy who the coaching staff thought had a really good fall. Uh, they even get shortstop Brandon Zaragoza. I'm a huge Zaragoza fan from a defensive standpoint, but there's no doubt he needs to be better uh, offensively, and they think he will be. So uh, I think Oklahoma is one of those teams that if they can just, I don't know, hit 275, uh, I think they have a great season. So uh, I like what they have on the mound, and then Texas, in TCU, it's, it's kind of weird to be saying this, but I kind of feel like 
Texas and TCU are both like wild cards. It's kind of weird to even say that. Right. But, uh, you know, Texas Tech, uh, or excuse me, Texas, you know, last year, you know, it was one of those strange years. I mean, if you remember, you know, they swept LSU at home. They were off to a phenomenal start, but, you know, when they blew that Saturday game at TCU early in the conference, uh, they were just never the same. Uh, they, they never recovered from that. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's crazy that they finished last in the league, but, uh, this is a team, they definitely have kind of Omaha sleeper potential here. I think if you look at the rotation, Ty Madden coming back, he's a guy that in next year's draft will be a you know, top two or three rounder. Um, you know, I think if you look at Bryce Elder, Pete Hanson, the talented lefty protector, he's going to be a really good win for them. Tom in the fall, he's 90, 93, up to 94. Just really easy arm action, really projectable frame. I think he's going to be a really good one. Then when you look at the back end, as the bullpen, uh, you know, with the return of Cole Kitchenia, Mason Bryan is a big time mid-90s arm uh, that I expect to take a big step forward this season. And, of course, uh, the big question mark with Texas uh, will be, I think, kind of the offense and the defense. And I'm not saying they don't have the guys defensively, but if you look at you know, look at UT defensively, they're going to start three freshmen. You know, you look at Drady Plantier, the, the brother of uh, John DePlantier, who played at Rice. Um, he's going to play a third. You know, you look at shortstop of Trey Faltini, again, really talented, really athletic guy, but again, a freshman. Uh, I did a second, Brendan Dixon's going to start for him. And so, anytime, you can probably ask Tim Tadlock, because anytime you start three freshmen on the infield, that's a little concerning. And those guys can be as talented as anybody, but you're still a freshman playing in the infield in the Big 12 in major college baseball. So that's the question mark for me with Texas, but without a doubt, big time potential on the mound. And the TCU, I was just talking to Jim Slosson the other night about this. Uh, he thinks this could be the deepest pitching staff he's ever had at TCU. And if you look back at some of the staffs that TCU had, uh, that's a pretty bold statement. They don't have that just gung-ho, proven Friday guy like they usually do. But, you know, Johnny Ray is going to start on Friday nights for them, a big time, 92-96 up to 97 arm. Just a big, hard-nosed guy. I saw him in the fall. You know, Harrison Beef is a newcomer I really like. Again, a guy that's going to get to 94-95 uh, with his fastball. You know, secondary stuff's pretty solid. And they expect, you know, expect him to have a pretty big impact. And then, you know, the list kind of goes on. Marcelo Torres is certainly well-documented in the Big 12. Uh, he's back for them. And then Charles King and, and Russell Smith uh, are two more big arms to keep an eye on at TCU. So the big thing with TCU is very, very deep on the mound. Need to find that bona fide number one ace. Uh, you know, we'll see if Johnny Ray can be that guy. Uh, then offensively, much like Texas, uh, the offense is the question mark for TCU. Uh, they really scuffled offensively last year. Never really found their stride. Uh, and then this year, the big key, I, I think, is keeping Hunter Wolf and Austin Henry healthy. Both of those guys are really toolsy, talented players. Uh, they both have had some injury issues during their time at TCU. And keep an eye on Tommy Sacco at shortstop. He's a guy that I really like. He just has instincts and defensive skills in the fall. But they also think he's going to hit for a pretty good average at TCU. So keep an eye on newcomer Tommy Sacco. I think he's going to be a really good one for the Frogs. I guess the last team I, I neglected to mention, too, that's in the mix there that needs to be talked about is Baylor. Yeah, I mean, they, you know what? Baylor, like I wrote the Big Four preview, Baylor's one of those teams that we have, you know, kicked behind all those teams. And at the end of the year, they're probably going to laugh at us because they're probably not going to finish where they are. Uh, it's just Steve Rodriguez and John Strauss, and they like that staff. They do a phenomenal job. Uh, they do a great job of evaluating talent. You know, Shailene Maliers is a kid that, uh, you know, they stayed on and were able to get. You know, Cody Bradford wasn't a guy that, you know, the big boys were just, you know, falling all over the, the side and ended up having a great career at Baylor. And, of course, this year, you kind of wonder who that guy's going to be. You know, they had the Bradford and the Langoliers. Uh, this year, I'm keeping on Andy Thomas behind the plate. Obviously, with no shade on the Langoliers, that's a huge question mark for Baylor. But they think Andy Thomas is going to move down there and do a pretty good job on the plate. He's already a pretty good offensive player. But uh, they also like his defensive skills. You know, Jared McKenzie's a really talented freshman uh, in the center field for the Bears. Very athletic. Consistent and pop. And Davion Downing, to me, Davion Downing uh, in right is, is kind of the X factor. He's a guy that, you know, when you look at him, it's like, hey, that's, that's how I want to draw a prospect up. Like, that's what I want him to look like. And so he has all the tools, but he just hasn't put them all together. You look at last year, he really scuffed. He showed a little bit of pop at times. 
really struggled to hit that average. So, if Davion Downey has a big year, I think Baylor's going to have a good year. Then on the mound, uh, Jimmy Winston is kind of the, the guy I circle for uh, big year. He's, you know, he's, he's kind of taking the torch. You know, he's gone from being a kind of an 88 to 90 guy in the mound with his fastball to more of a 90-93 guy with pretty good secondary stuff. So, Jimmy Winston is a guy on the mound that I expect to, to have a pretty big year. And I guess lastly, uh, with big year, uh, keep an eye on Will Rigney, a talented freshman right-hander. That's a guy that uh, Steve Rodriguez and that staff are extremely excited about. He's one of the more talented arms they've had there in a few years. Wow. So you, as you roll through those teams you know, and talk about how they're going to look for the conference, the title of your preview yeah. was Texas Tech, the hunted yet again. So who is the who is the hunter? Who is the the big challenger coming at the Red Raiders this year in the conference? Or, and maybe, you know, as far as a matchup standpoint, the biggest problem for Texas Tech to look towards? Well, I mean, I, I think Texas Tech is honestly so much better than all those teams. It's like, I don't think there's really a team that can, that can overtake them. Uh, I would probably say, like, Texas and TC would be equal for me. I think Oklahoma State, for me, is a pretty, pretty strong number two team. It's kind of weird to say. Like, I, I don't know how much sense that makes, but, like, they're a really good number two team. But if everything pans out for Texas and TC, which, by the way, it seldom does, then I think Texas and TC have a lot more upside and, and can challenge Texas Tech. That Texas Tech vultures all. I just think when you look at Texas and TCU, especially uh, Texas, I think when you look at the rotation, the bullpen, um, I think they stack up really well. I think they're going to hit at least a little bit. Um, then I think when you look at TCU, I think they're going to hit better and also really like the bullpen depth. So I, I think those two teams for me are pretty equal. Well, I'm sure Tech fans will love hearing you say Texas Tech is way better than everyone. I mean, but <laughs> no complaints that, that there. Ma- that makes that makes up for me actually calling Texas Texas Tech a minute ago. Uh, it's okay. It's okay because I was just about to talk about A and M, so that <laughs> I'm, I'll get shot anyway too. I, I'm think I was thinking about the schedule, looking ahead for Tech. I'm sure Red Raiders have a yeah. trip to Florida State circled, and I'm sure they have hosting and rekindling that Southwest Conference rivalry in Rice coming to Lubbock. And so I was just kind of thinking about history, and I know you and I have talked about this before. You know, as far as some of those old days, do you have kind of a favorite Lubbock memory or, you know, Texas Tech pre Tim Tadlock kind of memory, those old uh, Southwest Conference and early Big 12 kind of days as far as Texas Tech baseball? Oh, I, I definitely have a favorite memory. So back when in uh, Sneed or, or Gus probably will have to correct me here. I'm sure I have my, my years all screwed up. <laughs> but I'm trying to think if it was 98 or 99. Shane Ryan was at Texas Tech and Casey Foster was at a and And my dad and me got in the car, drove to Lubbock. We got snowed out. I think the opening, I think the opening day of the series got snowed out. And then the next day, I think it was like 74 degrees. <laughs> so we got snowed out one day. The next day it was seventy four. It was like the, it was the most bizarre weather I think I've ever seen. I think Texas Tech won a really hard fought series, but boy, those two teams were just so loaded. I think Tech had Shane Wright. I think they. I think uh, I'm, I'm hoping they might get my years mixed up here. But I think they might have Keith Ginter, Josh Bard. I mean, they it was loaded, uh, and A and M wasn't very far behind in the loaded category. So that was probably my best like. Texas Tech, uh, pre-teams moving around conferences that uh, moment. But uh, I think I guess the other one for me, uh, in terms of fan interaction, uh, just hanging out with the, the hecklers of Oklahoma City. Uh, my parents would always, when I was a teenager back in the mid-90s, uh, my parents would always take, take me up there and we'd hang out the whole time. It's like, obviously my parents were big A&M fans, and so we would stay there the whole time if A&M was in it. Even if A&M got knocked out, we would stay the rest of the way. So I just kind of adopted teams, and it just, most of the time, kind of adopted Texas Tech because I liked all those guys. And so one night, there was an Oklahoma State fan who had had a few too many drinks. That, and I'm sure Gus can probably point to this picture somewhere online somewhere. But this guy had way too much drink and passed out. And I'm pretty sure the heck is, I won't name names, but I'm pretty sure there were a few guys that stacked some pizza boxes and <laughs> uh, used cups and nacho, little nacho boats and things like that on top of this guy. So, I kind of always remember that. It was, I think it was like 11 o'clock at night. It was a typical late-night conference tournament game, uh, and, it, and it was kind of a fun deal there. So those are kind of the two things that stand out to me. That's awesome. And, yeah, you were right on ninety on 98. I was looking that up. Bard, Ginter, right? Yeah, it was it was a heck of a year, and off of a really good 97 season. Yeah, that was a hell of a series. Man, that was, yeah, that was such a good team. I, that, you know, we, we talked so much about, 
the teams at you know, Texas Tech that have gotten to, to Omaha in the Cadillac era, man, I'm not so sure that 98 team wasn't the best team they've ever had there. I mean, I know they didn't get to Omaha, but gosh, that team was good. Yeah, and there was there were several of those, and, and Gus and I talked about that in rekindling the Rice series. You know, you had yeah. a year where you yeah. thought that the it was going to be Tech's year to get there, and Rice comes to Lubbock and kind of runs away and steals one, and, and never has come back right. since. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, I think the best team in Texas Tech history lost in that regional final to Rice, and so. You know, it's, it's cool. It's cool to think back from these old days. Not not so cool to think about Tech losing the rice, but it is cool <laughs> to kind of reminisce on some of these old days because uh, there are some good years uh, for Texas Tech. And it, you know, it was kind of like you know, you know it's kind of like that coach, like Mike Martin at, at Florida State, to where like you're you're like, man, I just I hope he gets that national championship. But you know, he's been so good, and I hope he gets a national championship. I feel like Texas Tech for so many years in baseball was like. Man, they're so damn good. Like, I just hope they get to Omaha at some point. And so it's cool now to see uh, Tim you know, making those guys in Omaha mainstay because that program certainly has deserved it. Well, and there was two things today talking with, with J. Bob Thomas, and, and it was said so matter-of-factly, I don't, I don't mind sharing it because it's obviously the mindset of the program. And one yeah. was just that he feels like they have the best head man in baseball. And, you know, I, I know Red Raiders love Tim Tadlock and agree. And, uh, and J Bob feels the same way, but he also just very offhandedly, as we were talking, just said, it's going to be really cool to be the last one standing. And, and I love, yeah. I yeah. love that yeah. mindset of this is, this is it. This is the goal. No more showing up. You know, the time has come to bring the thing home. Yeah. And, and that's what, you know, this is a, a program now that, has been Omaha multiple times. Uh, you know, they they want to get, they want to reach the ultimate, you know, mountaintop here. So uh, that, that that is what they approach to do. Um, you've been to Omaha that time. Been to all the restaurants. You, you know what it feels like to go out there for opening ceremonies. Now it's now it's time to to bring the the big trophy home. Right. Well, and and I appreciate you guys. You know. It's been more than just the most recent trip. It's just been the, is it the year, you know, sooner or later, this is just, this is going to happen. The cards will fall and, and it does take a little bit of luck, but also a lot of good baseball to happen as well to, to get to that point. But yeah, it's been a fun ride to watch, you know, four times in six years, but yeah, you're certainly ready for that next step. And they had their best season last year uh, in Omaha, the best showing, but certainly looking for for the big one. And, and I mean, what a great place to be. And I brought this up in my first episode this year with Gus and, and George Watson saying, you know, in 14, you had a team that you cut Zach Davis from the team and brought him back two weeks later because you didn't have anybody else to play. <laughs> and now we're sitting here talking about like, which of these eight guys are going to play in the outfield. It's just an embarrassment of riches. And you're looking at this, these big bodied athletes and these dudes out there vying for spots on a team. Like it's a, like it's a pro team or something, you know, like there's, there's just so much love to go around for how good they all are. It's a, it's a good problem to have. And so, you know, the good thing about it is, you know, if you run into a situation to, let's say, you know, Bryce Bonham is showing uh, signs or he's, uh, he's, you know, lacking command and, you know, he needs to get kind of back to the basics a little bit. Uh, they do have the flexibility to kind of plug guys in there who, you know, aren't a deviation from Bryce Bonham in terms of talent. So it's very much a luxury to have. And, of course, uh, the biggest thing will be kind of man- managing uh, egos. And I'm not saying there's anybody who gets hit to call on that team. But uh, when you have a lot of power arms, a lot of talented guys, that, you know, and all of them think they should be pitching, sure. um, it, it, it can be difficult to manage that many, many talented players. So that, you know, you may see that be kind of one of the big storylines this year. Like how does uh, Tim and how does that coaching staff kind of manage all the options they have? And so you would rather have that situation Dan, like you just mentioned. So uh, we'll see what happens. So last thing I haven't asked you about, and I appreciate your time. I know we've, we've gone a little long, but Absolutely. Uh, just the offense. You know, what are we looking at offensively? And, you know, Nate Rombach put on a laser show the other day in the inner squad and got guys like Braxton Fulford coming back that have really – their bat has come alive and he's continued to improve. But, you know, that's something Texas Tech is known for. Power arm, certainly, for sure at this point, but – always with that that offensive pop. And so there's some big holes to fill in Cameron Warren and Gabe Holt and Josh Young. So what are you seeing so far for the Red Raiders as far as offensively? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think Texas Tech always seems to kind of reload in certain spots. Like, I always feel like anywhere we think there's a big question mark, they kind of find a way to fill it. And, you know, you talked about Nate Rombach, and it's funny you mention him because, and I'm going to throw Tadlock under the bus a little bit here. So a couple of years ago, 
I was talking to him in the fall for our little fall reports we do on D1 Baseball. And, you know, he goes to all these guys, all these pitchers, all these hitters, and then come opening day, there's some guy up there just raking. I mean, like, he's still in bases, he's raking, <laughs> he's going bonkers, and it's Gabe Holt. Yeah. And I'm like, who the hell is this guy? Like, he wasn't even mentioned in the fall report. Sandbagging. So Tim tried to, yeah, Tim tried to totally sandbag on Gabe Holt. And so, to tell you how good Nate Robach is, you know, Tadlock told me in the fall, he said, hey, man, he goes, uh, we have Braxton Fulford, and, like, I think he's going to be really good. But he's like, hey, you got to watch this Nate Rombach here. He's going to be really special for us, whether it's this year or in the future. And so, obviously, they're very high on him. They're going to find a way to get him in the lineup somewhere. You know, I think uh, when you look up the middle, you know, Brian Klein, uh, just such a great leader, such a steady hand up the middle. Uh, you know, you, you got to love him. You know, Cal Tolley's a guy that uh, really has good defense with the team, so, you know, Tadlock really likes him in the fall. And, of course, uh, Jace Young uh, over at third, you know, it's kind of funny when I was talking to those guys in the fall, they made it pretty clear, like, hey, Jace is not Josh, but by the way, we think he's going to be really good. And so, yeah. you know, he can hit for some power, but to think he's going to step in and be what his brother was, that's, like, it's not even fair. Like, that's not a fair expectation. So, I do expect him to make an instant impact, but, uh, you know, we'll see how close he can get to his brother. Uh, then we, you know, we, we talked about some, the, the options uh, on the mound. I think when you look in the outfield, there's some pretty neat options. You know, you look at the, you know, the, the Kurt Wilson, Cody Masters, uh, Drew Baker, the guy I really like, uh, Dylan Carter, Max Marshak. I mean, those are some really, really good and athletic options. So how Tech to Tech kind of, you know, moves those guys around and deals, deals with those guys is really, really interesting because you, know, you kind of wonder, like, hey, do they need one of those guys at DH? Which, by the way, if you do that, it means Tino Chimba out of the DH role. Yep. Uh, that, that's another area that out there. There's another area where they've got a good problem to have. They've got a lot of really good options. So, you know, if you look at this Texas Tech lineup on paper, somebody who doesn't do research will go, oh, well, this, this lineup may, may not be that good. But, man, I, I just like a lot of the key pieces. I think Fulford is a guy that in his junior year, we all, we all know what he's capable of behind the plate. I think he has a good junior year with six. Uh, you know, Brian Klein, I think, has a strong year. And then I think you, you look at the outfield of all three guys that, uh, you know, are ready to take on larger roles. I think Max Marshak, to me, is kind of the, the guy I'm really intrigued to see. I mean, he's got such great physical and kind of just, you know, speed attributes. I'd really like to see that play up this year. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him move to uh, in Round Rock. And, of course, uh, Tanner Trimba is a guy that can, that can really get a hold of the ball, too. So I, I'm I'm not remotely worried about the offense. I know some people say like, "Hey, uh, they just have a lot of a lot of guys to kill," but uh, I just I just have no doubt that that Tech will have a pretty solid offense. Uh, you know, they they may not hit three thirty, but I bet you they hit around three hundred. Yeah, and you know, Dylan Noisy, another one we didn't even get to talk about, and there was one point. Yeah, I mean, hell, I didn't even Dylan Noisy. yeah, I mean, there and there's one. That's what I'm saying. It's an embarrassment of riches, and there was a point where we're sitting there in an inner squad and Rombach's on base. And Parker Kelly gets a hit and goes on base, and Kurt Wilson is standing around, and I'm like, there are some dudes out here. I mean, these guys are all like six three, you know, two twenty. Parker Kelly no longer built like Angel Hair Pasta. Like this guy is is a full grown <laughs> man. I mean, there's just some guys, and I think there's going to be some surprises. You know, some guys vying for for first base, for instance. Cole Stillwell is really fighting hard there, and some guys battling for the DH position, which is is really needed. Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, TJ Rumpel's another guy that yeah. likes. And so, uh, I'm really just, uh, just top to bottom, kind of an overall, you know, knee point of the team. I'm just really intrigued to see, uh, the decisions they make. You know, Mason, like we, you know, we're talking about the pitching. You know, Mason Montgomery's a, a huge prospect. And like, hey, if, if everything clicks for him, he could be a guy that moves in a weekly rotation. So, uh, I think you're going to, you're going to look, you know, in, in week two in that tournament. And I think you're going to see Tadlock go with a lot of options. I actually wouldn't be that shocked. And, you know, I'm just trying to remind here, but I actually wouldn't be that shocked if he kind of limits their innings pitched early in the season just to kind of get a, get guys a lot of work. Because it's not like you're, you know, like we were talking about earlier, you take Mike out in the fourth inning, it's not like you're really taking a huge step down. So I'm really interested to see, you know, does Tim kind of ride the hot hand if some guy gets hot in the game early on? Or does he try to get as many innings as possible for some of these guys and kind of see, where, where different different arms might fit, and the same kind of goes for the outfield. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how it all goes. And you mentioned that, you know, you have this early season, you have this early non-conference period to try those things out. And just a little aside, at lunch today, the LCU coach was there and, and Gus talked to him briefly. And uh, LCU has moved into Division Two and joined the, the Lone Star Conference, which merged with the Heartland Conference. So 19 teams in that conference, they have 50 games in their baseball schedule, and all of them are conference opponents. No non-conference opponents oh, whatsoever. Yeah, That's terrible. Yeah, I agree. Oh. <laughs> Gus even brought up the point, like, man, if you're if you're a down team, it is going to be a very long season when you're playing the rest of your conference. Yeah, it's going to be like being like the Cleveland Cavaliers. Your season's over in the second week of the season. <laughs> yeah, if, you're, if, you're, if you start out terrible. Yeah, there's no one. Yeah, there's nobody worse than you. There's nothing you could do to to find any relief. So, well, Kendall, man, this has been awesome. I I really appreciate the time. I appreciate what you guys do. Tell everybody where to find y'all, and and I try to encourage on Twitter some, but uh, it it's a hundred percent true, guys. This is the this is the college baseball subscription that I keep, and this is really the best content you're going to find top to bottom all the way through the year. So y'all make sure you check out D1Baseball.com and subscribe if you haven't. But tell everybody where to find you, man. Yeah, just uh, D1Baseball.com. You can find us on Twitter at D1Baseball on Facebook, Facebook.com slash D1Baseball, and we'll certainly have a lot of Texas Tech coverage uh, this year. Like I said, I'll be in Round Rock week two. It's going to get a First-hand point of view of the Red Raiders, and of course, if the season goes the way I expected, uh, I have a feeling we'll be covering a lot of the Red Raiders this year, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, awesome. You grabbed a good one. I bet you're going to have like great weather in Round Rock. You sent Fit to go to Frisco in, in the horrible, horrible freezing rain last year. Yeah, that was bad, but I have a horrible, horrible feeling that because of how good the weather's been this winter, that the start of baseball is going to be absolutely brutal. That's <laughs> probably we'll true. We'll see. All right, man. Well, we hope you make it out to Lubbock this year. Look us up when you do. And, hey, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, you got it, Keith. Be good, buddy. Hey, thanks. Have a good one. Well, that was Kendall Rogers of D1Baseball.com, and I do want to say thank you to him once more for his time. It is valuable, and he's a busy guy, especially this time of year, just cranking out content on their website, preparing for opening weekend of college baseball. Really enjoyed talking with Kendall. Looking forward to having him back on the pod again soon. I know that he is watching Texas Tech closely and is excited about what Coach Tadlock, the staff, and this team have cooking this season. Please continue to get on iTunes and rate and review the podcast. It really does help folks find us. Tell your friends, share our social media posts, go follow our social media accounts. Uh, I would love to continue to get the word out about this great baseball program here at Texas Tech and the things they're doing. Always know that I'm just like you, a baseball fan. I'm excited about what Texas Tech is doing, and I want to give an opportunity to you as fans to be able to stay a little bit more connected and see a little bit more of the news that's going on around this program rather than feel like you're not able to get it. I will be back in your feeds next week. I'll do my best to get a couple folks on to talk to you about what we saw in inter-squad scrimmages. The cuts will have happened by then, and we will be able to give you a full preview of the opening weekend of Texas Tech baseball and what we expect to see from positions, starting rotations, and the top guys that you may see coming out of the bullpen. Keep an eye out on Twitter. We'll give you all the information we can right there. Look forward to seeing you around the ballpark. Be back in your feed next week, and until then, wreck them. Thanks for tuning in to Dinger Derby and sharing our love for Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. You can connect with Keith on Twitter at Dinger underscore Derby and find more Texas Tech sports content at stakingtheplains.com. Help us out by rating us and leaving a review on iTunes. And remember to tell your friends about the show. Keith will be back next week with another episode of Dinger Derby. And until then, wreck of tech. Keep your hand on your gun. Don't you trust anyone There's just one kind of man that you can trust That's a dead man or a gringo like me Be the first one to fire Every man is a liar There's just one kind of man who tells the truth That's a dead man or a gringo like me